Guys, we have a little bit of a special treat for you today. We've got a special speaker, and uh, in typical River Rock fashion, I'd love for you guys to welcome him here this morning. His name is Joe Jacobson. Everybody welcome Joe Jacobson to the stage, please. Good morning. My name is Joe Jacobson, but you can just call me Joe. And uh, I want to speak to you this morning about your dreams. We all have dreams. The question is, are we dreaming the right dream, and are we dreaming those dreams in the right way? Now, I know quite a bit about dreams. They've had a major impact on my life, uh, and they've contributed to my life story being one that's a little bit of a wild ride. You see, my life has been marked by meteoric rises followed by precipitous plunges. I know what it's like to go from the top of the heap to the bottom of the barrel. So no matter what your circumstance today, I I know what it's like to be in your position. And I can tell you that the only thing that kept me moving forward in my life was my dreams. In fact, it was one specific dream that God had given my family even before I was born. It was a dream that was passed down through my family, and I can remember clinging to this dream from a very early age. And it was that dream that got me through the low points of my life and kept me grounded during the high points. You see, the right dream, dreamed by faith, can bring you through the highs and lows of life. So what do I mean when I talk about dreaming by faith? What is, what is a dream? There's a number of different definitions for dreams. Well, what I'm not talking about is the kind of dream that you might have after you eat bad Chinese food. I'm certainly not talking about the kind of dream that you might have where you can eat whatever you want and still look like a professional athlete or a supermodel. Anybody else have that dream? And and I'm not talking about the dream. You know the one dream that we've all had? The one where you show up to school in your underwear? Yeah, we're not talking about that dream either. And, And I'm not talking about daydreaming where you gaze out the window and you wonder what it would be like if you were to uh, win the lottery. No, I'm talking about something so much better. When I talk about dreaming, I'm talking about a vision of a preferred future. Now, if I were to just stop there, I could just as easily be talking about a goal or an aspiration, but there's something so much more that I have in mind. When I talk about dreaming, I'm talking about understanding what God's plan is for our future. Something that would give us hope, that would give us confidence in what we believe, and assurance of what we have yet to see. Believing God for the future. So then this morning, let's define dream in this way. That it's a vision of a preferred future that is based on the promises of God. A vision for a preferred future based on the promises of God. And it was this kind of dream that throughout my life saw me through the low points and kept me properly oriented during the high points. You see, we we have to have this kind of dream in order to keep us moving forward. And, And the thing about this kind of dream is that we can really only dream this kind of dream by faith. Understanding what God has promised and and understanding and knowing what we believe and knowing where we belong. The key to dreaming that dream by faith is to know what you believe and know where you belong. You see, I come from a rather large family of of shepherds. My father had 13 children in all, 12 sons and one daughter, uh, by four different women. 
and you thought your family was complicated. Well, to complicate things even more, it was no family secret that my father loved my mother the most. Out of all the other women that he had children with, he loved my mother the most. It was also no family secret that I was his favorite. You see, I was his firstborn son with the woman that he loved the most, and I had been born to him in his old age. And he often showed his favoritism to me, even though I was one of the youngest. I, I was the youngest, one of the youngest of 12, only followed by my little brother, Ben. So when dad would show favoritism to me, it didn't make my older brothers very happy. One day, dad came to me and he gave me this very ornate coat, very colorful coat. Now, that may not seem like a great gift to you, but where I come from, a coat like this would mark you as the ruler, as a chief. It meant that I was the heir apparent, that when dad died, I would become the leader of our family. You can imagine that it didn't make my older brothers very happy. In fact, they, uh, they hated me. I didn't realize how much they hated me until um, one day dad sent me to check on them. They were out keeping the, the flocks out in the countryside, and dad asked me to go see how they were and to bring back a report to let him know how things were going. And as I came up on them, all ten of them grabbed me, ripped my coat off me, and they threw me into a pit. I could even hear them as they were walking away, sitting down to a meal with the food that I had brought for them to eat. Their plan was just to leave me in the pit to die. No food and no water, to die of either starvation or dehydration, whichever came first. I remember next, I heard Judah's voice. Judah was one of my eldest brothers. Off in the distance, Judah had seen some traveling traders. And he said, hey, you know what? If we just leave him here to die, we don't gain anything. What if there was, what if there was a way that we could be rid of him forever and we could make a little bit of extra money? And so they devised this plan to sell me into slavery. And as I walked away with those traders bound hand and foot, the last thing I could hear my brothers talking about is how they were going to take my coat and dip it into blood to make my father think that I had died being torn apart by wild animals. It would have been easy for me to give up on my dream, to be defeated, but I knew what I believed and I knew where I belonged. Eventually, the traders brought me to the most powerful and most prosperous country in the world. I had never seen anything like it. I had only heard about it. And it was there that I was sold into the house of a man named Potiphar. You see, Potiphar was one of the king's officials. He was one of the captains of the guard. And I was sold into his house. And since I knew what I believed in, I knew what I, where I belonged, I continued to work hard for my master. And God was gracious to me and granted me success in everything that I did. God started granting me so much success that, that my master put me over everything in his house. And not just everything in his house, but over everything that he owned. And God continued to bless me and continued to make me successful, so much so that the only thing my master had to concern himself with was what he was going to eat. Now, I don't like to brag, but uh, when I was younger, I was in pretty good shape. And I was a pretty good-looking guy. Uh, Not ruggedly handsome like your senior pastor here, but still a a pretty good-looking guy. And... My master's wife took notice of me, and one day she approached me and said, I want you to come and sleep with me. 
I knew that that wasn't right, and that would in no way honor God. So I told her no, but day after day, she kept after me and kept after me until one day we ended up in the house alone. And she grabbed me by my clothes and started to drag me to her bed, and I I just knew I didn't want any part of it, so I ran. And as I ran, I ran right out of my clothes. And so I got outside and realized that I'd left my clothes behind, but I wasn't about to go back in there. She immediately called the other servants of the house together and told them a lie that, that I had come to her and wanted to sleep with her. And that she screamed, and when she, when she screamed, I ran out leaving my clothes behind. When my master got home, she repeated the lie to him, and he was angry. He was so angry. It didn't matter about all the good things that I had done for him. He had me thrown into prison. I went from, from being the heir apparent the leader of my family, my father's favorite son, to being thrown into a pit, to being a slave, sold into slavery by my brothers, to being a successful servant, and now thrown into a dungeon. It would have been easy for me to be discouraged or even slip into depression, but I knew what I believed, and I knew where I belonged. And I knew that God would be gracious to me and that God would give me favor. So I continued to honor him in everything that I did. And it wasn't long before the prison warden took notice of me. And he saw the favor that God was giving me. And God gave me favor in the eyes of the warden that he began to put all the prisoners under my authority. And everything that the warden gave me to do was successful. And he didn't have to worry about anything that he had put under my authority. I can remember one day uh, two of the king's officials were thrown into prison. I don't know exactly what they did, but... The warden asked if I would become their personal attendant. And they placed me in the the house of the captain of the guard to watch over these two officials. And I remember there was one night that both men had a dream. And both men, I, I remember the next morning, they were deeply troubled by their dreams. And I knew that I couldn't interpret them, but I told them, look, I believe God can interpret your dreams. After all, don't all interpretations belong to God? And so they, they told me their dreams. And the first man was the king's cupbearer. And I said, hey, thanks for telling me your dream. Here's what it means. I said, your dream means that in three days' time, you're going to be restored and you're going to be placed back in your position with the king. And I said, when you go back to the king, remember me and speak to the king about me because I'm an innocent man. Of course, when I said this, all the other prisoners uh, started saying, oh, yeah, hey, we're innocent too. Tell the king about us. We're all innocent. Everybody in here is innocent. Well, hearing that I had given a favorable interpretation to the cupbearer, the baker then stepped forward, and he was eager. He's like, oh, man, I can't wait to hear my interpretation. So he told me his dream. Unfortunately for him, I had some bad news. You see, his dream meant that he was going to be executed in three days. And sure enough, three days later, the baker was executed and the cupbearer was restored to his position. Now all I had to do was wait. It would just be a matter of time before the cupbearer told the king about how I had interpreted his, his dream and how God was giving me favor. And so I waited. <coughs> a day went by. Nothing happened. But I waited and then a week went by, and nothing. And then it was a month, and then a year, and still nothing. 
I sat in that dungeon, wasting away. But I knew what I believed and I knew where I belonged, so I didn't give up my dream and I continued to put my trust in God. Two years later, the king had a dream. The king was deeply troubled by his, his two dreams in one night. And he was even more troubled that as he told his dream to the wise men of the land, none of them could interpret his dream. And it was in that moment that the cupbearer remembered me in prison. And he told the king about me. The king immediately sent for me and they brought me out. They gave me a fresh haircut, washed me up, put some new clothes on me and presented me to the king. The king asked if I was able to interpret his dream and I assured him because I knew what what I believed and I knew where I belonged that I could not interpret his dream but God could certainly give him the answer that he was looking for. And so the king shared his dream with me. The first dream was about seven fat, beautiful, healthy cows that were grazing along the side of the river. When suddenly seven thin, ugly cows came up And they swallowed and ate the fat, healthy cows. But the thing was that they were still just as thin and ugly as they had been before, as if they'd eaten nothing. In the second dream, the king had seen (coughs) seven fat, ripe, plump heads of grain, followed by seven thin, withered heads of grain that came. And again, they ate the, the plump, ripe heads of grain. Yet, just as with the cows, the thin, withered heads of grain looked just as thin and withered as before. The king didn't understand what the dreams meant, but God revealed to me what the king's dreams meant. And so I told him, I said, the king's dreams mean the same thing. And God has indeed showed you what he is about to do. I said, the seven fat cows and the seven heads of grain represent seven years of abundance that God is going to sin. And the seven skinny, thin cows and the seven withered heads of grain represent seven years of famine, severe famine. And I warned the king that he needed to use the seven years of abundance to prepare for the seven years of famine. And I suggested that he find wise men to oversee different parts of the land and to ensure that portions of the harvest were gathered and set aside as reserve so that during the seven years of famine, our country wouldn't be wiped out. What I said to the king pleased him. It pleased him greatly. And he was excited. But you know, the most exciting thing for me was that this pagan king recognized God's presence in my life. It was clear to him what I believed and where I belonged. And what I had said to him pleased him so much that he immediately made me second in command. He promoted me at 30 years old to the prime minister. He, he gave me the ability to sign off on anything and everything that I wanted to do as if he were signing off on it himself. He gave me some new clothes and some nice fine jewelry. He even hooked me up with a really sweet ride so that everywhere I went, everybody would know that I was the man who was in charge. Not only that, but he, he later changed my name and he arranged for me to be married to one of the most prominent women in the world. It was in that moment that I realized how tempting it would be to give up on that dream that God had given me and my family so long ago and to just begin throwing myself into all these pleasures and treasures of this new world. But I knew what I believed and I knew where I belonged, so I I clung to that dream that God had given my family. I immediately got to work preparing for, for the famine that was coming. 
And we started gathering things and God was giving me favor and God made us so successful in our preparations that, that all the supplies that we had gathered became so numerous that we actually had to stop counting. It would have been like trying to go to the beach and counting the number of grains of sand on the seashore. And God just continued to bless all that we were doing and he blessed me even more. It was in the midst of this preparation for the famine that God gave me two sons. And what I did next was the talk of the town. Here I was, the prime minister, married to a very prominent woman, yet I gave my two sons names from my home country. And no one could understand it. How is it that that the prime minister of our country, married to this prominent woman, wouldn't give his sons more culturally appropriate names? But you see, for me, by giving my sons those names, it was a reminder to me of what I believed and where I belonged constantly being reminded of the promise and of the dream that God had given my family. Well, after the seven years of abundance came the seven years of famine. The famine was far more severe than we ever expected. It it wasn't just our country that had been affected, but the entire world had been affected by this famine. So much so that people from every nation were coming to me as the prime minister in this powerful prosperous country, they were coming to me and having to buy food from me. And then one day, it happened. The last thing that I ever expected, my brothers showed up. They showed up to buy grain from me. And they came in and they bowed down before me. And and I was immediately reminded of a dream that I had when I was younger. See, earlier in my life, I had dreamed that my brothers and I were out and we were harvesting wheat. And suddenly the the bundle of wheat that I had harvested stood up and then their bundle stood up and began bowing down to mine. And I remember when I told my brothers this dream, they just mocked me and made fun of me. I said, are you really going to rule over us? Are you going to reign over us? And they hated me even more at the time. And then later I had a second dream, one of the sun and the moon and seven stars all bowing down to me. This time I told my dream to my father and my brothers, and even dad rebuked me. See, I, I thought I was just being faithful, that God had given me these dreams, and the only thing that I could do was be honest with my family and try to understand my dreams. Perhaps I should have been a little bit more discerning in how I shared those dreams and when I shared those dreams. I guess it just goes to show that faithfulness and foolishness can sometimes reside in the same person. Yet here I was, 20 years later, my brothers are bowing before me. They didn't recognize me. They had no idea what was happening, but I immediately recognized them. And I remembered what I believed and I remembered where I belong. I remembered the dream that God had given my family so long ago. And I knew, I knew that I had to do something. I, I wondered in my mind, could, could we be restored as a family? Had, had my brothers changed over these 20 years or were they the same men that they were 20 years ago? And so I came down hard on them and I pressed them. I said, you are spies. You have come here to spy out the weakness in this land. And said, hey, we are not spies. Look, we've just come to buy food. We're not spies, but we are honest men. <sighs> 
Honest men? You are honest men. The kind of honest men who would throw your brother into a pit? The kind of honest men who would sell your brother into slavery and then trick your father into believing that that he had been killed by wild animals? Honest men. Don't make me laugh. So I pressed him even harder. I said, no, you are spies. I have spoken. And he said, listen, we are all sons of one man. We were 12 brothers. Our youngest brother is at home and one is no more. One is no more. They were talking about me. I figured they had long forgotten about me. I couldn't believe they would even begin to mention me. Maybe something had changed in my brothers, but I needed to know for sure. You see, uh, you may think that what I was doing to my brothers was just doing what any little brother would do in my situation. You know, messing with your brothers, making them sweat a little bit. But in reality, I needed to test my brothers. You see, my great-grandfather had been promised by God that, that God would make him prosperous, that he would make his descendants numerous, that he was going to make them into a great nation, that he would give them land, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And then later in my great-grandfather's life, God promised that, that part of his plan was to bring his descendants into another country where they would become slaves, but it was during their time as slaves that God would build them up into a great nation, and then God would come to their aid one day and deliver them into the land that he had promised. This was the dream. This was the dream that my grandfather, uh, my great-grandfather had told my grandfather, and he told it to my father, and my father repeatedly told it to me and my brothers. We all knew what we believed, and we knew where we belonged. But I needed to know if my brothers were faithful men. You see, just as my great-grandfather and grandfather and father had been faithful in passing on that dream, I knew that if my brothers were not faithful to God, that the only thing they would pass on to the coming generations would be unfaithfulness. And God's plan might be hindered. So I had to be sure that before they could be allowed to come into the land, I had to be sure that they were honest faithful men, faithful to God, and that they knew what they believed and knew where they belonged. And so I tested them. I tested them. I said, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put one of you in prison and send the others of you back to get your other brother. And if you come back with your other brother, then I'll believe that what you say is true. I wanted to see if they had changed. Were they willing to leave one of their brothers in slavery to save themselves or would they come back? And so before they left, I had my attendant fill their bags full of food so they would go, wouldn't go home empty-handed. And then I told him to put all of their money back inside of their sacks. Man, I would have loved to see their faces when they found that money. Realizing that they had essentially just stolen from the most powerful person in the most powerful country in all the world. Would they run and hide or would they come back and admit to what had happened. I can only imagine what was going through their mind because remember the last time they came home without one of their brothers and came home with some extra money, dad had some questions for them about what happened. And I can only imagine what he thought the second time they came home with some extra money and one less brother. 
Well, it wasn't long before they actually came back. And I remember that day because I was looking out across the land and I could see my brothers coming and I saw that my youngest brother, Ben, was with them. I told my attendants to, to immediately have these, these men go to my house and prepare a banquet for them. When I came home for the meal, they were all my brothers. And again, they bowed down to me. I was reminded of the dream that God had given me all those years ago. And as I looked up, there he was. My little brother, Ben. Never thought I'd see him again. My mother's brother. And I was so overwhelmed that God would allow me to see him again that I had to run out of the room. I actually had to run in the other room and regain my composure and wash my face before I could come back in. But when I came back in, the meal was served. Now, what happened next must have really messed with my brother's minds because I had them seated in birth order. And they have no idea who I am. So I can imagine they're looking at each other like, how in the world would he know what order we were born in? This is crazy. It was amazing. And then I just wanted to test them a little bit more. I made sure that my brother Ben got five times the portion that everybody else got. See, I wondered if they would start to argue and fight with each other or if they would protest that favoritism had been shown to one of the brothers over the others. But that didn't happen. It didn't happen. They just enjoyed the meal. And we enjoyed the meal together. We enjoyed the great food that God had provided and, and we enjoyed the wine. Maybe we enjoyed the wine a little too much. It was a great night. And I enjoyed that night, but I still needed to know what my brothers believed and know where they belong. And so the test had to continue. The next day, I had my attendants fill their, their sacks as full as grain as they could and again put their money back inside their sack. But I told them to take my special silver cup. I said, take this cup and put it inside my littlest brother's sack, inside of Ben's sack, and then send my brothers on their way. My attendants did exactly as I told them, and, and I didn't let my brothers get far before I told my men to go after them and confront them about the money in my cup. They brought my brothers back to me, and I said, look, I know that you have stolen from me, but here's the deal. The man in whose possession my cup was found will become my slave, and the rest of you will be free to go. It was Judah who spoke up first. Judah begged for the opportunity to take Ben's place because he knew how special Ben was to my father. And he said, look, let me become your slave and let Ben go back with with the brothers. This was Judah who just years before was willing to sell my father's favorite son into slavery so that he could make a profit. Now he's here and he's asking to take the place of Ben so that my father won't be deprived of his favorite son. This told me everything I needed to know, that God had been at work in the life of my brothers, that he had had changed them. Earlier, I had heard them arguing and fighting, saying that the reason that they were having all of this trouble was because of what they had done to me. They had already begun to recognize their sin and demonstrate remorse. And now... Finally, I understood that 
my brothers knew what they believed and they knew where they belonged. And it was at that moment that I knew I had to reveal myself to them. I was so overwhelmed with emotion. I didn't want the king's people to see me this way. So I just said, everyone out, except for you. My brother stayed, and the king's people left. I said, it's me. It's Joseph. Your dad, is dad still alive? And they were speechless. This was the last thing they ever expected. They just stood there silent, and I said, it's me, Joseph, your brother, the one whom you sold into slavery. But don't worry. And don't be upset with yourselves because God has sent me here ahead of you so that our lives would be preserved. This wasn't your doing, but this was all part of God's plan. Now, here's what you need to do. You have to go home and you have to get our father and bring him here so that we can weather this famine together. Apparently, I was a little more overcome with emotion than I realized and all of the king's servants heard exactly what I said and they ran and they told the king that my brothers had come and that my father was still alive. And because I had found such favor with the king, he was excited to hear this news and brought me in and he said, look, you have to bring your family here to live with you in the land. So I sent for for my father. My brothers came and they brought him back and I remember that day when dad finally came and I ran out and I threw my arms around him. And we just wept together for the longest time. I never thought I'd see him again. Yet here was my dad. I knew the king would be eager to meet my family, and I was eager for them to meet the king. And I knew one of the king's first questions would be about their occupation. Anytime he he brought someone new to live in the land, he wanted to know what what they could offer. So... I wanted to be sure that we were all on the same page. So I told my family, look, when the king asks about your occupation, be sure to tell him that we are shepherds and that we keep livestock. See, I knew that that shepherds were detestable to the people of the land. And so by telling the king that we were shepherds, it would be a little bit of job security since as foreigners, we were willing to do jobs that people of that country just weren't willing to do. Not only that, but it would ensure that we were giving grazing land And the best grazing land were a little bit set apart from the rest of the country. And I felt like this was extremely important because I I knew how prosperous this country was and, and I knew that it would be tempting for my family to go after that prosperity and to maybe even adapt some of the culture of this foreign land and forget the dream that God had given us, forgetting about what we believe and where we belong. And I wanted to be sure that we were separated from that. And so we went in and we told the king, uh, as we introduced our family to the king, he said, so what do you guys do? And they all answered that we are shepherds. And the king actually ended up giving them some of the most beautiful grazing land, just as I had expected that was apart from the rest of the culture. And not only that, but he offered my family jobs. He offered that they would be able to take care of his flocks for him. And so we began to settle in this new land. I got to live in the land for 17 years with my dad. And that time was amazing to watch my father and the faith that he had. See, I knew that when he was younger, he wasn't exactly a perfect example of faith. But 
but to see the man that he had become, how he, he clinged to the dream that God had given him because he knew what he believed and he knew where he belonged. It was at the end of his life that he called my brothers and I together. He brought us in, the whole family, and he gave each one of us a special blessing. Now, a, a blessing may not seem that important to you, but in my family, this was part of passing on the promise that God had made to my great-great-grandfather. Passing that on, passing on the dream, reminding us of what we believe and where we belong. And before my father died, he reminded us one more time of what we believe and where we belong. He said, look, when I die, don't leave my bones. Don't bury me in this pagan land, but take me and bury me with my father and my grandfather. It was just one more reminder of what we believe and where we belong. So my brothers and I obeyed my father's instructions and we buried him in the land that God had promised us, even though we didn't own the land at the time. God would allow me to work for another 53 years for the king. And at age 110, I knew that my time was coming to an end. I knew it was important for me to pass on this dream to my family and to remind them of what we believe and where we belong. And so I called my family together and I I made them swear an oath. I said, look... uh, I know that God has brought us to this land and that we're going to be here for a while. But that someday God will come to our aid and redeem us and he will bring us to the land that he's promised us. And when he does, I want you to carry my bones with you. And don't bury me here in this pagan land, but bury me in the land that God has promised to our family. It was one last time that I could remind my family of what we believe and where we belong that they would hold on to that dream by faith. You see, it didn't matter whether it was the highs or the lows in my life. It was that dream that God had given my family. That dream that, that he gave me, that we pursued by faith, that brought me through the highs and lows. Now, I know there are some of you here this morning, you're struggling to dream by faith struggling to dream by faith because right now your life seems more like a nightmare. You're grappling with your relationships with your family. Maybe your family can't even speak peaceably to you. Perhaps you feel like life has thrown you in a pit and left you to die. Maybe there's a habit or an addiction that you have in your life that you feel like you've become enslaved to. Or maybe you feel like you've You've been thrown in a dungeon, imprisoned by illness, depression, resentment, or unforgiveness. Others of you here this morning are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're struggling to dream by faith because you've been pursuing the delusions of this world. You've gotten distracted. You're the teacher's pet, the boss's favorite. Everywhere you go, you get special treatment. You're the big man on campus. You're the heir apparent to the company, and everything you do is successful. Maybe you're already in a position of power, prestige, and prominence. You see, no, no matter what your circumstances are, I can relate. I know what it's like, and I know how tempting it is to allow our circumstances, whether good or bad, to distract us from the dream that God has given us a vision for the future that is based on his promises. I know how difficult it can be 
to continue to dream those dreams, to continue to hold on to what God has promised us. But it's important that we hold on to those dreams. It's important that we build our life around the promises of God for our future. That we remember and that we know what we believe and where we belong. That we know that we believe in a God who is rich in mercy and who raises the dead to life. And that even when our lives feel dead and empty, that he actually brings new life to us. And that this God will one day bring us to a land of eternal promise. And not only that, but it's important that we know not just what we believe and where we belong, but we know in whom we believe and to whom we belong. That we believe in God, the God of my fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that our God is a God who will come to our aid, that he will redeem us, and that he will make us his own possession and that we belong to him. See, it was these truths that drive the faith that allow us to dream to envision a future that is based on God's promise. I ask you this morning, are you dreaming by faith? Are you dreaming the right dream? A dream that is, that is based on a future rooted in the promises of God. And are you dreaming that dream in the right way, in faith, believing God for the future and his plans for the future, having assurance of his promise, confidence in his promise, and assurance of what you have yet to see. We must continue to dream our dreams by faith. And the hard thing is that there are so many things in our life that want to distract us. But I want to let you know this morning that it's never too late to begin dreaming by faith. And it's never too late to start again to build your life around the future that God has promised rather than your own aspirations and to let God's promises for the future occupy your mind over the temporal struggles and successes of this world. So I ask you this morning, will you join me in dreaming by faith? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you give us promises for our future that you promised